So I don't know how many of you guys know this, but I am a student at CMU. I'm currently a junior, and I am studying history. I'm a history major, so I really, 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 really love history. Like, it's so interesting. It's something that I'm so passionate about. Um, and I feel like all of your eyes just glazed over. Does no one know what I'm talking about? Are there any history buffs in here in this entire room? Whoa, three hands! All right, so thank you for following me. Yes, I love history. Apparently three of you others do, so if you want to come talk to me afterwards, that'd be great. We can have a whole heated discussion about the Soviet Union. I don't know. It'd be great. So anyways, <laughs> I love history, and so I actually think that this began um, with my love for the Old Testament of the Bible. And I know now I'm really losing you guys because you're like, first she's coming out here talking about history, now she's talking about the Old Testament of the Bible. It's gonna be a long sermon. But hang with me here because I was at the beginning kind of like you guys, where honestly, most of the time, you don't really have a passion, especially for the Old Testament of the Bible. And if anything, you just kind of feel obligated to read it. And that's how I started out too. I dreaded opening up my Bible and having to read the Old Testament because I was like, oh, this is so boring, this isn't relevant, this happened thousands and thousands of years ago, why am I doing this to myself? And I was like, if I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it right. And so I asked God, I was like, please, just talk to me. What do you have to say to me through these verses? What are these stories about? Why should I read this? And all of a sudden, it was just like the floodgates opened, and I was getting so much wisdom from him, I was getting to learn his heart so, so much, it was absolutely incredible. And so tonight, I want to begin by talking about one of my favorite books in the Bible. And it's actually, it's First and Second Samuel is all about the story of David, and it's basically like a history book. Like when I open it up, that's what I feel like it's like, because you can get serious stories, you can learn about what people said and what they did from thousands and thousands of years ago. And to me, that just like blows my nerdy little mind, like I think that's so cool. And so tonight, I'm going to be talking about David, and I think that like by the end of this, we might feel like we might know David a little bit more, like even on an intimate level, where we're actually friends with him. Again, a guy from 3,000 years ago, you might feel like you know on a personal level. So cool. So predictably, we're going to talk about David tonight, and instead of focusing on his entire story, we're going to focus on one itsy-bitsy part of it. And so first, though, we do need some historical background about where we're going. Like history major, going to give you some historical background. There you go, that's what I'm made for. So that's what I'm gonna do. So we are gonna basically do like a crash course of what 1 Samuel is. So you guys all know David and Goliath. You know that story, right? Did you know that like David actually cut Goliath's head off? Yeah, like it didn't just end with a stone. David actually cut his head off. I thought that was really cool. And so you guys all know about that. You know about how David was anointed king of Israel. And so he's gonna supposed to be king of Israel for all of his life. But before he can become the actual king, there's one small thing in his way, and this guy's name is Saul. Now, Saul is a raging lunatic, okay? Like, he is absolutely insane. So before David can get to his throne, before he can get to what God has promised him, he has to get rid of Saul first. Now, Saul is so crazy that even his own son eventually turns against him. His own son is like, oh my gosh, Ted, you are seriously nuts. You do not need to be king of Israel. You need to go straight to Looney Bin. And so he decides he's going to turn against his dad. He's going to go and begin to support David. And they end up becoming like really, really close friends. It's like a bromance, like Will and Joe status, okay? Like super, super close bromance. And it's really, really cool. And in 1 Samuel, 
it actually talks about how um, Jonathan loved loved David as he loved himself. And so they had this amazing relationship. And unfortunately, though, Jonathan does get killed in battle eventually, ending the bromance officially. And Saul also dies. But that's good because David is now king of Israel. And so he goes on to be one of the greatest kings of all time. And so what's really cool to know is that Jesus is actually a descendant of David. So they come from the same line, they come from the same families. And so it's also cool to know that David is known by God and by others as a man after God's own heart. And to me, that's just the coolest title. Like I strive every single day for God to look down on me and say, that, that right there is a woman after my own heart heart. And so he's this really, really incredible guy. And so throughout David's life, we get to catch glimpses of how he is this man after God's own heart. But there are also times when just like Jesus, David is also a man with God's own heart. So throughout the Old Testament, we catch these foreshadowings or snapshots of who the Son of God is. God begins to teach us about who Jesus is 28 generations before he's even born. And that's why I love God's word, guys. It isn't just a book of rules and regulations, do's and don'ts, but it's a book that can show you God's heart. And so a great example of this is found in 2 Samuel 9, 3, 13. And this is where our story begins. It's verse three, it says, the king, which is David, asked, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? So here we find King David, after fighting for years for what God had promised him, he's finally received it. He sits upon the throne of Israel. At last, he's conquered all of his enemies. Servants are at his beck and call, and all is peaceful and quiet within the kingdom. And David misses his best friend. God fulfilled all of his promises to David, but Jonathan wasn't there to now share them with him. So David seeks the next best thing, and he goes up to one of his servants, and he asks this question, this question of where is any, any son of Jonathan, any son of Saul, where is he? I want to be able to bless him. I want to be able to show him God's kindness. And in verse 3b, the servant responds, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. That's an interesting response, because David didn't ask about the guy, he just asked if there is still one. But then, his choice of words, the servant's choice of words here show that he suspected that the son's handicap might disqualify him from anything that the king was looking to offer him. But he was so wrong. David immediately asks where he is, and he wants him immediately to be brought to the palace. Verse six says, when Mephibosheth, that's, that's a mouthful, Yeah, can you guys say that? Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth. I wanted to abbreviate it, um, but if I did, it would be meph, which sounds like something else. And so we're just gonna go with Mephibosheth, so hang with me. So when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you the kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore you to all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, 
What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Here we find a man that didn't, didn't have anything. His family was dead. His land was gone. His feet were crippled. To say that he felt undeserving of anything that the king could offer him is an understatement, especially when his own grandfather is the one that tried to kill David over and over again. He was ashamed and he was broken. I want you guys to picture this. Picture the king sitting on his throne, surrounded by this gorgeous palace. His servants open this huge door and before him stands as best as he can, a crippled man. The word then says, Mephibosheth bows down to pay David honor. So here we see him, he creeps before the king, and with extreme difficulty, he forces his crippled legs to bow before him. He was obviously humiliated. Have you guys ever felt like Mephibosheth? Because I have over and over again. I have come before God completely crippled from my own sin, overcome by my own unworthiness. And one aspect of my life, and I'm sure a lot of you will be able to relate to this, it's where I seem to mess up so, so often, and it was with my relationship with my sibling, with my sister. See, I don't know if you guys know my sister, but if you do, you probably know we're polar opposites, okay? We are not at all the same person. I love her so much but oh my gosh, her personality drives me crazy. She is a sanguine phlegmatic. Oh man, <laughs> that really, I do not know how to handle that, okay? And on top of that, she's also very artsy and she loves music and I don't know how to relate to that either. And on top of that, she's super, super compassionate and loving and I don't know how to relate to that either, okay? Like, I, I, I'm just this bossy choleric. Like, I don't really know what else to say about myself. And I'm not artistic. I am not. Sometimes I'm trying to be better, but I'm not compassionate. And I hate art and music. Like, I do not understand it. And so, sometimes, most of the time, we didn't really see eye to eye. We didn't know how to communicate. We didn't know how to talk to each other or understand each other. And so a lot of times this resulted in fights. Sometimes it would come to fist blows, but most of the time we were fighting with our words, which was so much more painful, so much more painful. And I knew right to hit her, where to cut her, right where it would hurt. I knew her insecurities, I knew everything about her, and I knew exactly how to hurt her. And so I would say the most relentless, vile things just to hurt her. And after hours of what it seemed like we were going at it for hours, I'd go back to my bedroom, completely devastated. And I would look at myself in the mirror and I would say, who are you? How could you treat someone that you love so wholly, so terribly? It was like I was hurting a piece of myself. So I would come before God sometimes. Sometimes I was brave enough and I would be able to say, this is what I've done and I am so sorry and I feel so terrible. But most of the time, I didn't want to face God. I didn't want him to see 
who I was, the bully that I was. I was too ashamed. I wanted to be able to clean myself up together. I wanted to get my act together before I could come before him because I was just so devastated with the person that I had become. And I feel like a lot of you guys can do the same thing. We have these moments where we are just so crippled, we are so broken, and instead of running straight to God, we think, no, I don't want to see me this way. I need to get my act together first. What we need to understand, though, is like David, Jesus could care less about our crippledness, about our brokenness, about our uncleanliness. He calls us to him just the way that we are, broken and destitute, and then he empowers us to get our acts together. Matthew 9, 12 says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. See, Jesus says this, but David exemplifies it hundreds of years prior. After Mathabosheth bows, David then calls him by name. He calls out to him, Mephibosheth, with so much excitement, so much enthusiasm, I can almost see it play out. He's so excited to have the son of Jonathan in his midst. He can see parts of Jonathan in this little boy, in this boy. and he's so excited. And in John 10, 13, 10.3, it says, Jesus does the same for us. He calls us by our names. It says the gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And so every single time I read this story, I cry. And I cry a lot and it's because I can relate to Methbosheth such an intimate level. I completely lost it though when I discovered that Methbosheth's name means shame destroyer or image breaker. What a great picture of our Savior. He is our shame destroyer or our image breaker. And like Jesus, David's first response to this Mephibosheth who's so broken, who's so lame, was to call him by name. And next, David, just like Jesus, wants to restore him. He wants to give him back his land. He wants to say, here, this is everything that belonged to your grandfather. I want you to have it. I want to restore you. I want to give it all to you. David could hardly wait to remove that shame and restore his life. And Jesus can't wait to do the same for us too. He's waiting so impatiently for us to come before him crippled, broken, so that he can restore us with his love and mercy. Now there's a little bit left of this story that I do wanna cover tonight. And it's actually just a couple more verses and at first they're not gonna seem like much, but once we break them down, I feel like there's so much wisdom from God in them. And so we're gonna pick it up in verse 12. It says, Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. So there's two things that I want to point out in these verses. Right now you're probably like, who's Ziba? Like, is that a disease? What is that? I don't understand. And so it's really important to know that Ziba is the name of the servant that David asked at the beginning of the story. 
So when David came before his servant, he's like, where is this son that I can bless? Ziba was the servant that was so quick to judge Mephibosheth for his disabledness, for his crippledness, and say, yeah, he's alive, but he's crippled. He's damaged. Now I want you to notice what Ziba is now. He's Mephibosheth's servant, right? And so at first, Ziba is the servant of a king, which is actually a really, really great title. I mean, you get to sit next to the king day by day, be with him during the most important parts of his life, see the most important meanings. And now he's the servant of a man that he thought was beneath him. Guys, that's not a coincidence. Proverbs 20, 22 says that the Lord will avenge us. And so I ask you tonight, have any of you guys ever been Ziba? Have any of you guys cast a judgment or said something terrible behind another person's back? Because, oh, I know I have. This is such an area of my life where I struggle with. I can be so critical. I can be so judgmental. I can completely tear a person down in a matter of seconds, whether it's to their face or behind their back. And it's not cute. It's something that I hate about myself, that I wish that I could change about myself so desperately, but sometimes I have to tear someone down so that I can feel better about myself. And Ziba would say that he's the same way. Sometimes you feel like you have to say things like, I cannot believe that she would wear that to church just to make you feel like a better Christian. Sometimes you feel like you have to say things like, she's the biggest slut in our school. She is so disgusting to make you feel better about how far you went with your boyfriend last night. Sometimes you have to beat the crap out of the tiny kid at school just to make yourself feel more powerful and more in control of your life. Sometimes we have to pick on the weak to make ourselves feel better. And Ziba was the same way. See, he felt like he had to pick on a person's disability to hide the fact that he was a servant. And now... He's Mephibosheth's servant. See, he used to be the king's and now he's not. And again, that's not a coincidence. So even though you think, hey, you know, I can say whatever I want. That person's not here. They're not going to hear me. God will. And God is the avenger. I don't want God to get revenge on me. I don't know about you guys. And so that was such an eye-opener to me to see Ziba in that position and thinking that could be me too. Next, I want to point out the repetition of the fact that Mephibosheth was lame in both feet in this verse. At first, I was like, we already know that. We've said that tons of times in the previous verses. Why? The repetition, that just seems mean at this point. Talked to God about it. I was like, why? What's the purpose of this? And I felt like what he told me was that he wanted to make sure that it was so evident to his readers that Ziba was, or Mephibosheth was never healed. He was crippled for the rest of his life, but that never stopped him from taking his rightful place at the king's table. And guys, the same is for us. 
we will never stop being crippled. We will never stop being broken. We will never stop being completely overwhelmed by our own sin, but that should never stop you from taking your rightful place at the king's table because he is our shame destroyer. He is our image breaker and he wants you with him right by his side, no matter what we've done. Us, the broken, the crippled, the shameful, the unworthy are forever invited. And that spot was secured for us by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the moment that he died on the cross for our sins. My Jesus, your guys' Jesus, David's Jesus, Mephibosheth's Jesus is a lover of the lame. Guys, I would have never learned to walk with God on two healthy feet had I not experienced bowing down before him as a cripple. My emotional and spiritual healing has come from approaching God in my handicapped state and believing that I was still his daughter despite all of that and that I was worthy of his reckless and relentless love for me. I feel like God wants to talk to us tonight. I feel like he wants to love on us tonight. He wants to restore us just like David did. And so right now, I want everyone to stand up. Go ahead and take, stand with me. And now I want you to kind of find a, a spot in this room where you can be alone, where you can be away from your friends, whether that's up here on a couch, back in the back, just kind of find a spot where you can be alone right now. Go ahead. Try and get as much space as you can. we are all crippled from our own sin and it's a burden and it is weighing so heavily upon us that we can barely stand beneath its weight it is crippling us so right now I want us to be like Mephibosheth and I want us to bow down before our king in all of his grandeur I want us to bow down before him just like Mephibosheth had the courage to do I want you to close your eyes and just be in this moment with him right now. And I want you to start to think about what is crippling you? What sin, what thought pattern, what is in your life that has left you crippled? Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's sexual temptation. you're like me and it's gossip. Maybe you're always so worried about what other people think that it has crippled your personality and your ability to go to school confident. Maybe you've been playing the victim card for far too long. You've been letting something terrible that happened to you define you for the rest of your life and it's time for you to stand up and say, enough, I am not a victim. I will not let that title cripple me any longer. Maybe you just need to forgive yourself for something that happened 
too long ago. Whatever it is, tell God what it is that's crippling you. Tell him what it is. Maybe it's one thing, maybe it's several things, maybe it's a whole list of them. And ask for God for forgiveness. Do it one at a time. Say, God, I ask for forgiveness for my gossip. God, I ask for forgiveness for the way that I treat my sister. Tell him how sorry you are. like David did with Mephibosheth, Jesus is calling you by name right now, and he's saying, it's okay, it's okay, I forgive you, I still love you, it will never change the way that I look at you, my beloved, because he is your shame destroyer, he is your image breaker. just wash over you right now cleansing away the the sin and the shame shame is broken now that your image is destroyed it's time for him to, for you to get up with him and move on to bigger and better things he wants you to take your seat now at that table right beside him for eternity no longer will you be crippled no longer will your sin or your shame hold you back from the identity that he wants to give you So right now, I want us all to stand up and I want us to worship our shame destroyer. I want us to worship our image breaker for what he's done. So everyone come on up to the front and let's worship him. Thanks for listening to the 4640 Student Center Podcast. For more information on what's happening in 4640, you can check us out on social media and at our website, 4640gj.com. Service times are Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Hope to see you there.